Fantastic. Well, good morning. It's great to have you with us. And over the next few weeks, we are going to be uh, looking at a Christmas, what we've called a Christmas playlist, just taking some of the songs of Christmas and just talking and sharing a little bit more about them. Some of you will be singing them. And I think it's good to know a little bit more about them, isn't it? The songs that many of us have sang maybe for years. And um, uh, I was struggling putting a, a playlist together just on iTunes. Um, shows the level of my technology the other day, because uh, I believe it's very simple. And my kids were just going, Dad, for goodness sake, you just drag and drop. And, um, I, I, you know, it's that simple. Well, we're dragging and dropping a few Christmas carols over this uh, month of December. And uh, so I'm kicking off today with a uh, song that uh, some of you have sang probably for many years called What Child Is This? Now, what I'd like to do right at the start of this is just to get you to picture maybe just in your mind, maybe you are, uh, you know, you're a shepherd, okay? And you're sitting out in a dark um, Judean countryside and uh, you, you're there doing what you've done every night of the week. So it's a bit mundane, it, it kind of a repetitive cycle that you're in. You settle the sheep down and you're sitting in the field, you know, probably uh, maybe around a fire and you are watching, you're watching out for predators, you are moving around just gently and then you sit down and you have something to eat, you have something to drink and maybe as the night passes you're getting a little bit tired, right? And I don't know whether you've had one of those situations where your eyes begin to close. It's fantastic, isn't it? Just that moment, the Sunday afternoon, after the roast kind of feeling, your eyes are closing, you start to, to fall asleep, as it were, and the, kind of the crypt falls out of your hands, and then suddenly, bang, in the sky, there's, it lights up. And... Um, and there's, there's suddenly bright lights and there's a voice that speaks. I don't know about you, but in that moment, I probably would have been out of there, away very quickly, scared to death. And, um, and you know, Luke tells us in the Bible that um, this kind of story actually happened, which many of us are familiar with, as shepherds sat in the fields and uh, they were visited by an angel of the Lord and, and this is what re, was record, recorded there, that they were filled with great fear. Great fear. This was not your average fear. This was great fear. They were scared to death. This was the unusual, the unexpected. It was just an incredible moment. And the shepherds were fearful. I'm sure you would say, if that was me, I would definitely be afraid. Because of the situation of being quiet being dark, and suddenly everything's lit up around you. Just amazing out there by probably yourselves. And the sky, just in that brief moment after a voice speaks, the sky is filled with angelic hosts. It's not just one. Now there's, the sky is filled with angelic hosts um, singing and praising God. Glory to God in the highest there singing. And, um, you know, the, the shepherds are completely gripped by this. And the angel speaks and says to, says to them, fear not. Isn't that a great message? The first message the angel wants them to know is not to fear, even though they're scared to death. Don't freak out. Don't, don't fear. I'm, 
here to tell you, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So it's not just for you, it's for everyone. For unto us, uh, unto you is born in the, this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And uh, this, whatever ha, you know, was taking place there, we're not sure whether they were doing the can-can in the skies or you know, they, were, they got some sort of dance routine or you know, some heavenly kind of, you know, kind of celebration that is taking place that angels do. We're not sure or even how long that went on for. But as suddenly as they appeared, it seems that they disappeared. And suddenly the sky is back to silence there's darkness, there's quietness. And I'm sure just after getting over the shock of that, these shepherds are suddenly at a place where they're saying, did you hear what was said? Can you believe what was said? A savior, a baby, here, the Christ. Is this the Messiah? And the angel said, if you go to this place in Bethlehem, It will be a sign to you that what we've said is true. You don't have to live your life with hearsay, thinking maybe maybe we ate too much goat's cheese that night or something. You can go, and this is going to be a sign to you and everyone else that what was said is true. And so they believed the incredible news, and they encouraged people. And this is what Luke tells us. Let us go over to Bethlehem. And see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And now what follows in this story is actually, as Christ is born, is the scene in which a guy called William Chetterton Dix was thinking about when he wrote this particular carol, What Child Is This? Let me just tell you a little bit about this guy. William Dix uh, was actually born in 1837, and I'll read this to you so we get it completely right, in Bristol in England and moved to Glasgow, Scotland. There you go, Billy, a bit of fame there. As a young man, while there, he worked in insurance, but his favorite pastime was writing poetry. And so, in fact, William's father actually was, gave him his second name, Chatterton, was a result of the famous poem around at the time called Thomas Chatterton. That's how he got his middle name. And when he was 29 years of age, you know, he contracted a very serious illness and it almost was fatal to him. And he was in bed for months, we are told. Dix became so discouraged and depressed during this time and he began to even question the existence of God and certainly his work in his life. And consequently, he became, began to read Christian literature. He began to have time to pray and to ask God all kinds of questions. But also he wrote poems during that time. And many of the lyrics to his hymns, if you like, were written during this time, including a very famous poem that was written called The Manger, from which this carol, if you like, the words were taken out of this carol in 1865, and it actually became quite a famous tune. I think what made it so popular, because it was set to the famous tune, which many of us know, is Greensleeves. You know the Greensleeves, you heard it on the song just there. Now, 
green sleeves, there's a history. I haven't got the time to talk about that. But there's all kinds of stories behind the tune, including it may have been attributed to um, you know, Henry VIII, who wrote it for his darling, um, Anne Boleyn. And she was a gardener, scratched all of her hands, and she wore a green, <laughs> a green dress to cover her arms. I'm not sure whether that's true or not. There's lots of different kinds of ideas where the tune came from, good and bad, to be honest with you. But what we know is William Dix picked the tune up, this cow was put to that, and it became very, very popular as a Christmas classic during that time. And eventually, Dix, he recovered from this serious illness, and he was known from then onwards as a man of great faith, of great faith, and it is seen in all his poetry since that time. I had the joy of just reading some of those during this, this week. So William Chatterton Dix in this story of writing this carol, was absolutely, at some point on his journey through that illness, completely captivated by the birth of Jesus. I'm sure in those moments he prayed, as many of us could do, God, again, reveal yourself. Be fresh to me. May this story not be like what I you know, experienced last year, but do something new. Do something fresh. May this come alive in my own life, the birth of Jesus Christ. And as he prayed, I believe, something similar to that, he suddenly finds himself standing in awe of who Jesus actually is. And that is reflected in the title, you know, what child is this? It's not a, a story of not knowing, but it's a story of being in awe of who Jesus is. I wonder this Christmas if you're in awe of Jesus, of who he is. See, the disciples, you remember one time asked that question when they were in a storm once? And they, they, you know, the storm threatened their lives. And they stood up in a boat, or Jesus stood up in the boat. They, they didn't. Jesus stood up in the boat, and he spoke to the storm and commanded it to be, to be calm, to cease. He rebuked it. And the storm became calm. And they were left with the similar question that William Dix was left with, is, is who is this who calms the wind and the, the, and the sea? Who is this? Well, the Bible actually tells us only God does stuff like that. In Psalms, it says, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength establishes mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves. Back in Psalms, the Jews understood that it was only God who controlled the seas. And these disciples would have experienced that. And I am sure... In his meanderings, Dix also, as he wrote this carol, comes to that place. Who is this? What is this? This is marvelous. So for William Chatterton Dix, our writer, this new revelation of God's glory in the birth of Jesus Christ was too amazing not to tell. He had to put it to writings. And I pray that, you know, for many of us today and throughout this Christmas season, that the Holy Spirit would lighten up our minds and our hearts afresh to the amazing brilliance of God's grace, his purpose, his love, the joy that captivated around Christmas, the hope that there is in Jesus Christ at this Christmas time too. And simply the good news that is coming from this carol time and time again is that God himself came as a man, as a baby, 
to rescue the world. What a great message to carry. The Bible says in John's Gospel, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son and the Father, who is full of grace, and He's full of truth. And John's saying, we've seen Him. We've, we've experienced Him. This is not just a story that's being written, but we've seen Him. A little bit like the shepherds were invited to go to a scene and see for themselves, this is true. The shepherds are saying it. John is saying it. Many Christians today are saying it too. And the writer here just begins to stand in awe of God's plan of salvation as the promised Messiah, a saviour, the Christ, the King of all kings, comes. He's captivated this as a personal experience that is available for every single one of us. And Dix is completely captivated by this, but not also by the King of glory coming to earth, but also by the way in which he comes. God chose to come to the world as a virgin, uh, sorry, via a virgin, as a baby. He came that simple way, that incarnation story, that miraculous conception, if you like. God came and he's kind of stirred by that. Why come as a baby? It's amazing because historically, the Jews were looking for a conqueror. The Jews were looking for this king who was going to come and to rescue them, probably a warrior and not a baby. Surely, not somebody you know, who was going to be needing to be wrapped up in cloth and cuddled, not a baby weeping who needed tending to, who would want to pursue a king and a savior and a promised Messiah like that? Nobody is the answer. He's taken up by that. And in the first verse of the carol, he captures the glory that we should expect for as, as a king would come. Angels greeting him with anthems, right, sweet, he says there, and with heavenly hosts singing and, uh, you know, speaking the glories of God. That's what we'd expect, right, for a king. But there's a glimpse of the unexpected here, too, as the writer focuses us in on the angels because they're singing to shepherds in a field. It's quite incredible. While shepherds watch while uh, keeping his the words in the songs. I don't know about you, but I've often thought, why on earth wasn't there some dignitaries there? Why on earth maybe wasn't there some special people like the royals? Why, why, why wasn't there the Jewish religious establishment who have long awaited Christ? Why are not they there? Shouldn't smelly shepherds be last in the queue? I think so. They ought to be the last in the line of invited guests to see the king of glory come into a court. This is unexpected. And the writer seems to get a hold of this and he ushers them into God's story very quickly. And I love this. They're ushered into God's story, into God's eternal plan. And this is the place where they're invited to come and worship the king of kings, to see his glory. And these are the words in the carol, haste, haste to bring him, Lord. And here he's probably associating himself, maybe how he feels. 
this incredible invitation, like the shepherds experiencing it in a similar way, the joy of receiving God's grace, this revelation, this invitation to worship the King of Kings in such a way. He's an ordinary guy in insurance, writing a few words of poetry, and suddenly he's been heralded into an experience that is incredibly miraculous, and, and he gets it, and it comes across in his writings. I love this. It, this word hasten means to come quickly, to come with praise and honor. And I remember one of my old lecturers at IBTI just sharing a few words in a chapel service one day. And he told us, never, never live your life on the back foot when it comes to worshiping God. Always live your life on the front foot. Not the back foot holding back, but on the front foot pushing like a sprinter on the blocks. Why? Because his mercies are new to us every single day. And they're invited and heralded into this experience. The second verse kind of just is beautiful how it continues to capture this particular situation of a newborn king. When it says this, in such mean a state, in the very place where ox and ass are feeding. You know, this is where the animals were, you know, in the stable underneath where the animals were kept of maybe that hotel there. And this was a lowly place for a king. You've got to admit that. What a crazy place to be in a place of poverty, in this place of loneliness, rather than in a palace, which everybody would expect. And the beauty, friends, in asking of this, what child of this, the beauty of asking that question is that it calls us to go beyond the lonely scene of Bethlehem because there's something special about this king to see a life that is even greater to come, that's got even greater lowliness than just being born in a stable, but there's greater humility of life of a servant king, somebody who is going to change everything, the perception of who he was and how he came. And Dix is alive with this. It becomes alive in his heart. You see, the Bible says that he chose to become poor for our sakes. Jesus, though he was rich in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He humbles himself. He lived a simple and humble life. I'm incredibly challenged by reading some of this sometimes. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has what? He has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't have anything of what we would have today. And finally, he came to the ultimate place of loneliness, a public execution where he's condemned unjustly as a criminal and being found in human form, he humbled himself, become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And I love the word, how it uses the word even there, because this was the worst kind of death there was. Jesus humbled himself, the worst kind of death possible. And many people think that the writer is kind of souring, if you like, the brilliance and the joy and the happiness of Christmas. 
You might be thinking, oh God, here goes Mark again. Why the cross? Why the blood? Why the, why the spears? Why mention all of that? You should leave that, Mark, surely to Good Friday. It's got a moment in the calendar, in the year, maybe. We don't want blood. We don't want death. We don't want to hear that. No, thank you. None of that. But friends, the Bible's very clear. You know, the word, I believe, made flesh without a cross in view is no good news at all. It's no good news at all. If there wasn't the cross... And Dix understood this and sought to paint this picture of the whole gospel story for everybody to know in this carol, what child is this? Just amazing stuff. The light and joy of the Christmas is empty if we sever the link between Bethlehem and Golgotha. It, is, it would be a tragedy to do that. And so Dix here writes without compromising in this Christmas carol, the cross he bore for me and he bore it for you. And I believe his heart again is alive with grace. He's alive with the gospel story, the truth about who Jesus is and how he comes to us, not in judgment, but now he comes in love, in mercy and in truth. He's blown away by this and Jesus comes to save sinners and he did it for you and he did it for me. And that is what Christmas really is all about. Christmas is for you because God is for you. His death, his birth and his resurrection is all for you because God is for you. And I believe as the writer pens these words, nails and you know, spears shall pierce him through. It's because he knows that this does not ruin Christmas. This actually gives Christmas its power. This is what it does. And then finally, William Chatterton Dix focuses on this amazing scene of worship in a stable. And so he writes this, to bring him incense, gold and myrrh, come peasant, king, to own him. And as God's own people, the Jews, you know, didn't receive him. They didn't bow the knee. Other foreign dignitaries, the Magi, the wise men, or the kings, you will have called them. You know, traverse afar over field and fountain, moor and mountain, in wonder and humility, they came to honor him by laying down their treasures before the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. But there was then an invitation also there with shepherds to come as they, as they were. They didn't have to change. They didn't have to put on their Armani suits. They just was to come as they were and to own him as their king. It's a personal thing for them. What a scene. Peasant come and kings come. The weak, the strong, the wise and the unlearned, the rich and the poor are together in this one Place the lonely kneel side by side with some of the most powerful of all, the nobly born to worship Christ, the Savior. I think this manger scene is spectacular. And Dix is caught with this as well. This is God's plan, you see, all along. God designed for anyone to come to him, to know him, to worship him together. This is family. This is church. That's what it is. And friends, the manger is for all sinners because the cross is for all sinners too. We are all in the same boat. 
We all need a savior to pay for the debt of sin. We couldn't possibly pay for it ourselves. We are helpless and hopeless. And so God sent Jesus Christ in his love and in his grace and in his mercy to come to earth to love us, to rescue us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, come on, whoever believes in him will not perish but will receive eternal life. And William Chatter Dix here is overwhelmed by this and he calls in that last verse, raise, raise a song on high. The good news about Jesus Christ to all mankind is here. Joy, joy for Christ is born and it must be sung. It can no longer just stay in words. It has to find a song which is the best way to communicate any words, in my opinion. And it's something that is remembered for many, many years to come. And so I pray that you will experience the same truth and power in the coming of Jesus Christ at this Christmas time as William Chatterton Dix did in this story as what child is this. Will you be in awe of that? And I want to encourage you to be that. There is great joy, friends, in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He is the Savior. He is the eternal King, and He invites you to worship Him. He invites you to find Him afresh. Even if you're a, you know, a, a, an older Christian today, there's something new and fresh that we need to experience in our lives as we come and we worship as we receive him this Christmas. So many gifts, right, are going to be given. And you will all receive these Christmas gifts, this Christmas gift. But every Christmas gift is temporary. But God's gift to you in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, is eternal. And this is the carol that invites us into it to experience this revival freshness that the Holy Spirit wants to invite all of you into today. Amen.